Hi there, it's the Jim Eskimen Podcast, and I'm Jim Eskimen. Thanks for listening. Been pretty, uh, pretty remiss in putting out podcasts regularly, but uh, you probably didn't notice. I barely noticed myself. We live in an age, of course, where there's uh, quite a lot of competition for your attention. So if I have some of yours today, I'm exceedingly grateful. Because I know all the things that are yammering at me put my attention on those things. And uh, sometimes for no better reason than to just be alarmed. It's an alarming time. We are in uh, the month of July now in the United States. And it seems like the presidential... uh, impending presidential election and the events leading up to that and all the crazy back and forth with that is just, uh, oh my Lord, it's hard. It's a hard life for all of us kind of sitting on the edge. We're all, I don't know. I don't know how to express it. I uh, have been going through a lot of my files. I had a little bit of time. It's July. There's just not that much going on. So I was going through a lot of things, trying to uh, sort things out, make order out of things. And I found this, uh, I don't know if you'd call it a blog entry. I don't know. Something I wrote that I didn't ever do anything with that um, I want to read to you or perform for you is probably a more enticing way. I must have written it a long time ago, uh, quite a few years ago. But things haven't changed so much. Uh, It's called Prejudiced White Man in the Mirror. I had a horrible realization the other day. I'm racially prejudiced. I didn't know it. Something had changed. I shocked myself. No one thinks that they are prejudiced. If you are alert, you see the warning signs. Man, I didn't see any signs at all. I thought I was cool. I was a child of the 60s, white, privileged to be sure, but I became a hippie as soon as I could and decried my comfortable upbringing. I learned the horrible truths about my white culture, some of the horrible truths, you know, enough to work into conversations and sound wise enough to hold up my end of a conversation. Apparently, even after all that, I was still white. Here's what happened. How I realized that I'm prejudiced. I'm in Wilmington, Delaware to shoot some commercials. I don't know why they stuck me in Wilmington. This is a sad little town. We were shooting miles away, but they put me in a Sheraton in Wilmington. Sounds kind of like an old English estate. Where are you from, dear boy? Oh, I'm from Sheraton on Wilmington. Quaint little place. Been in the family for years. Not the Wilmington of today. I hate to do a bad public relations job on a place, but man, that town is sad. It's like a movie studio back lot after hours. It's desolate. Evidence all over the place that once upon a time there were people who worked around here, and one day they ran away just leaving all their old funky stores and shops there. Just blue. I took a walk on the mall in downtown Wilmington. Weird shops. You know a mall is old and out of date by the mannequins in the windows, right? Some weird mannequins in Wilmington, man. Weird painted-on expressions. Women who look like they did a plaster cast of Donna Reed and stuck a funky wig on. Men like some kind of alien creature with painted hair and big white teeth, and the skin tone is all wrong, like some kind of antique pudding. The worst are the kid mannequins, the children with the crew-cut haircuts. Somehow the short haircuts of today look totally different from these funky, old, painted-on crew-cuts of out-of-date kid mannequins. 
You want to ask them, what are you so cheerful about, son? Are you out of your crazy smiling mind? You're in Wilmington, and the entire town is closed. No Starbucks, no Banana Republic, no Gap. It's, it's a non-mall. I just wanted to get out and look at the place, check out the vibe, you know. It's near the hotel. Man, it was like, it was like the Twilight Zone. Consider Wilmington, Delaware. Once a prosperous town, full of the sound of children laughing and the scuffle of busy feet on the way to work. Now, a graveyard of forgotten businesses. A sad testament to a day when a personal computer was the person in your family who figured out how much money was due the paperboy. Another dead giveaway that this mall has seen better days, I passed about 12.99 cent stores. And that is a sure sign that everybody has given up. 99 cent stores to me are like a whole town having a garage sale. We're broke, we admit it. Want to buy some soap shaped like characters from The Phantom Menace? 99 cents, please. Every penny helps. Got some Ritz crackers here in bulk. Went to the Gulf War and back, still fresh. 99 cents. 99 cents. That's like the price of no return. 99 cents. Doesn't get much more pathetic than that. Nothing is worth 99 cents. Anything these days sold for 99 cents, you know is going to be trash the minute you get it home. It's the agreed-on price of something that is just above worthless. In the old days, it was a nickel. You could get something for a nickel. It was just hovering precariously above worthless. You'd get it home like a toy or something. Boom, the hinge would go, something. The whole thing would just dissolve in your hand. Today, it's a 99-cent item. Same thing. Too many 99-cent stores is a bad sign. Then they start having to compete with each other. You see 98-cent stores. What a price war that is. 96.5-cent stores, and we throw in a free plastic bag. Valuable coupons worth 0.8 cents. Wilmington, Delaware. So, I walk down the length of this very dead mall. Hardly see another human being. Three white guys walk briskly out of a Chinese restaurant. Everybody else, a few scattered people, are black. African-American. I always have to think before I remember to say African-American. There's a little lag there in the system between my mind and uh, my verbal machinery. Black people were called Negroes back when I was a kid. Then the civil rights movement, they were black. Now, I'm not sure, but I guess the correct acceptable title is African-American, which is a mouthful, but is descriptive and historical. I remember recently stumbling about how to describe a black person once because I was a master of ceremonies for an event. I was just trying to tell a story, and I referred to a guy I met down in the Caribbean as a dark-complected gentleman. He was a black guy, okay? Man, what am I feeling guilty about? You know what I mean. He's black. You mean African-American? Yeah, black. That's right. Not all Africans are black, anyway. Here's how to say it without naming anybody and still get the point across. I'm the only white guy on the mall. That's okay, because I'm only disparaging myself. I'm a white guy. Now, obviously, I don't think of myself as a white guy. I don't get up in the morning and say to my reflection in the mirror, Hello, white guy. But in certain circumstances, such as the one I'm about to describe, there I am, suddenly, intensely aware that I am a white, 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 white guy. Suddenly, I have the sensation that I am sticking out. I have become obvious. I am a rhinoceros at a kid's birthday party, a naked person at the Academy Awards, a fly in the Frappuccino. So I just keep walking. And now I'm having this 
very intense conversation with myself because my attention, which was out here a minute ago, looking at mannequins and 99-cent stores, is now here, smashed up against my face. And the only thing I can communicate with is myself, inside the cozy confines of my head. What are you so nervous about? These people aren't going to bother you. Don't be so stupid. Why are you so sure? I think I'm about to get jumped. Look at me. What the hell was I thinking? I'm wearing a damn sport jacket and a blue button-down shirt. I look like a rich white guy. Well, you are a rich white guy. No, I'm not. Compared to these people, you are. A, you're whiter. B, you're richer. Hey, I thought you were trying to calm me down. All right, well, anyway, even if you are a rich white guy in a casual Armani jacket and pressed khakis, that doesn't necessarily mean you're in any danger from these people. No? Then what are they whispering to each other about? Who knows? (laughs) Who cares? It's me they're whispering about. They're saying, go get your brother and his bat and all his friends and their bats. They're going to turn me into jelly with baseball bats all because I went to the mall ten years too late. This brilliant dialogue just goes on and on. I decide I'll just act cool, unaffected, like I belong. You ever try to act like you belong to someplace where no one like you has ever remotely belonged before? It takes confidence of mythic proportions. I feel like a total idiot pretending to be a a casual, appropriately located person in a place where I think my life is going to abruptly end. In my head, I'm trying to figure out how I should contrive to look to represent something a little less vulnerable than a rich white guy lost in a, quote, bad neighborhood. What should I portray? I'm an actor. I can look like anything. What should it be? A real estate agent checking out some property. A teacher tracking down an honor student to tell him he will help him get into an Ivy League school if it's the last thing he'll do. An undercover cop. Now, there's a safe choice. Very safe. Very believable in my case, too. I've just got cop written all over me, right alongside superhero. In the end, I can't think of anything believable to pretend to be except for a guy who was very purposefully trying to go down the street without breaking into a passionate sprint. I decide to turn and go down a side street and sneak back to the fabulous Sheraton in Wilmington, which now seems like the most desirable location in the world to be. Oh, if I could only be at the Sheraton, you know. Suddenly I feel about this hotel like the people in the TV commercials seem to feel, like they've gone to Valhalla, the greatest place in the universe. It's the Sheraton. Probably that's how they write those commercials. They just write the action from the point of view of a white guy lost in a ghetto, struggling to find the street with a hotel on it. And as I walk along, looking purposeful, trying to blend in with a completely black neighborhood full of little brick row houses, I'm thinking all these weird thoughts, feeling all these weird feelings I didn't know I had locked up in me. I'm not safe here. See me, I'm done. Danger, 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 Will Robinson. Suddenly, I feel like a symbol, not a person, surrounded by other symbols that are going to kick my symbolic ass. That is some severe prejudice. I'm terrified. A very muscular guy comes up to me, very sure of himself, army pants, no shirt. Looks exactly like an old Dave Berg Mad Magazine drawing of a militant black guy from 1971. You know, threatening. Did I actually see him at all? I don't know. Maybe I just saw that old drawing. Man, you got the time? Uh Uh-oh. I know what that line really means. 
That's not a query. That's the plonk of the hook going into the water, the click of the cocked revolver, the whisper of a machete pulled out of the machete holster. Uh, 6.25. Just about nightfall. Thanks. Uh, hey, man. I'm about 70 cents short of getting myself some chicken wings down at Popeye's. Can you help me out? It's not a question. It's an invitation to complete compliance. Say no more. My wallet is out instantly. Then, just as instantly, I'm aware that there is a lot of cash in my wallet. Mysteriously. I never have any cash. I'm famous for it. My wife makes me show her the money before I take her out to dinner. I've stranded her so often while I go to the cash machine after a meal. Today, however, my wallet looks like Donald Trump's for some reason. I can barely get my fingers inside to give him the buck I'm searching for. There's so much cash in there. Then I can't seem to find a single dollar. It's all 20s, 50s, 100s, $100,000 bills, deeds to beachfront property in Miami, winning lotto tickets, a gold brick, anything but a damn dollar bill. So, eventually, I give him a buck, feeling as naked as a baby. He could have just said, Yo, man, just give me the whole thing. I would have handed it right over. Here you go. Careful with the gold bar. Don't drop it on your toes. But he's not ambitious. He just wants a dollar. Probably for chicken wings, just like he said. So then I keep walking. And now I realize I am once again in the position I constantly am putting myself in when I'm at home in Los Angeles, driving around in my car. I'm getting lost. Because I'm treating everywhere I go like Manhattan, where all the streets go this way, and all the avenues go that way, and you can never be lost, because it's all a big, easy-to-understand grid. South goes south, west goes west. But I'm not driving in my car. I'm on foot on a street in Wilmington, Delaware, and the streets don't go all on a nice grid. They go wherever they want, and you go with them, in your nice jacket and bald white head. And the sun is going down, my friend, like a dynamited casino. And all of the odd feelings I thought I didn't have anymore, that I was too enlightened to have, flood in. I suddenly cannot understand anything from an intelligent, caring, multicultural viewpoint. I'm just wanting desperately to be invisible so I can travel this dangerous highway unmolested and make it back to the safe confines of the Sheraton. Heaven on earth. What happened to me? When did this happen? When did I become the scared white guy from an R. Crumb cartoon? I have no idea. I thought I had straightened all this crap out. I mean, I thought I knew what was what. Sufficiently to buy a little relief from the negative effects of stereotypes and all that. But no. Put me down in a poor, totally black street? I'm about as enlightened as de Klerk. I'm just looking for the quickest way back to my white protected environment with the Gap and the Starbucks. Well, I made it back. The disgusting carpet smell, the banal art on the walls, the little soaps, the crappy mattress. I felt like they were old, beloved companions, like my old capsule mates from an Apollo launch. So that was bad. I don't know what was worse, the feeling of mortal fear that I'd be robbed, beaten, kept as an exotic pet by an entire neighborhood of hostile people, or the shame of realizing that I was guilty of the kind of prejudice that I thought only ignorant, inbred rednecks still nursed. Nasty. 
I felt nasty. So what do you do when you realize you're a prejudiced guy? I tell you what you do. You try to figure out a way that you can redeem yourself. You feel like you should behave in a, a charitable, liberal fashion. Make some sort of meaningful adjustment of some kind. What do you do? I went to the exercise room and pumped iron. I worked out, man. Next time I make a discovery about my personal shortcomings, I want to be prepared. So, I must have written that 10, 15 years ago. Interesting. It has Donald Trump in it. Isn't that something? And, uh, of course, today, as I'm reading it, I, I'm sort of going, wow, that's interesting. I totally forgot that I wrote it. I remember the event very well. I remember the sensations. And I, I think I described it pretty well. That's, that's how I remember feeling. Um, I'd like to say that uh, things have changed. Obviously, they haven't. I mean, today, again, in the news, there's a couple of, or on Twitter anyway, which is pretty much my, the way I get the news these days. You know, there's reports of, of cops killing uh, unarmed, innocent black people uh, in their cars on the street. Horrendous. Horrendous. And so I'm not the only one who uh, has this insanity. And it is. It's an insanity. Prejudice is, is a kind of a... Uh, it's a kind of an insanity. It doesn't matter what it is. I mean, people have it on all different things. Some people won't eat a tomato because they have this sort of sensation. Our country is separated to some degree, some great degree, certainly between rich and poor, the haves and the have-nots. That hasn't changed. But I wanted to read uh, something much more, much more well-written, much more effective and much more uh, useful than, uh, than my essay to follow up. This is uh, something that actually has been changing the world little by little, a little book that floats around. You may have seen it. It's called The Way to Happiness. Written by L. Ron Hubbard. It's used the world over. It's a non-denominational. In other words, you don't have to be a Scientologist or any religion really to, uh, to appreciate it. It doesn't have any particular slant at all. It's just a moral code. And a moral is a kind of a loaded word these days, but it simply means you know, what you do that aids your survival and the survival of people that depend on you and on whose survival you depend. So this is uh, precept number eight, and I think it's fitting in light of today's events in the news and uh, hopefully not tomorrow's. The title of this precept is, Do Not Murder. Most races, from the most ancient times to the present, have prohibited murder and punished it heavily. Sometimes this has been broadened to say, Thou shalt not kill, when a later translation of the same work has found it to read, Thou shalt not murder. There is a considerable difference between these two words, kill and murder. A prohibition against all killing would rule out self-defense. It would tend to make it illegal to handle a serpent, coiling to strike the baby. It would put a race on a diet of vegetables. I am sure you can see many illustrations of the difficulties raised by a prohibition against all killing. Murder is another thing entirely. By definition, it means the unlawful killing of one or more human beings by another, especially with malice aforethought. One can easily see that in this age of violent weaponry, murder would be all too easy. One could not exist in a society where oneself or one's family or friends were at the mercy of some who went about casually taking lives. Murder justly bears the highest priority in social prevention and retaliation. 
the stupid, the evil, and the insane seek to solve their real or imagined problems with murder. And they have been known to do it for no reason at all. Get behind any demonstrably effective program that handles this threat to mankind and push. Your own survival could depend upon it. The way to happiness does not include murdering your friends, your family, or yourself being murdered. And that's it. Yeah, the stupid, the evil, and the insane seek to solve their real or imagined problems with murder. Well, that says it all. For a police officer who's so paralyzed by fear or so blown up by power or so prejudiced or just got his head screwed on backwards, he has this imagined fear, and he seeks to solve that problem, the problem of having that sensation, the problem of not knowing what to do, whatever, by using murder. Like, that's the answer. How often in life is murder the answer? It's murdering another human being? How often does that come up? Well, if you're a professional soldier, then, yeah, that, that, that's an answer that you have to be trained to turn to. That's a very specific situation. But I think we all acknowledge that, that war is, is a terrible solution and not a solution at all. It's a solution in quotes. Anyway, we have a, a long way to go as a race, we have a long way to go, a race of human beings, black and white, all the various shades. You know, it's kind of funny. I'm a painter. I'm an artist as well. And uh, when I look at people's skin, boy, I, I sure don't see black or white. There's an awful lot of colors in everybody. I mean, that's just observation. Any child does that. So we have a lot, long way to go. But one thing for sure, trying to help one another, trying to be friendly, and not resorting to murder is certainly closer to the way to happiness than uh, some of these ghastly events that we've heard about lately. And I don't think anybody wants to feel scared and apprehensive and paralyzed walking down an American street with a nice mall, even if they do have a lot of funky mannequins. So we try to be more sensitive. We try to understand life more, not less. The way to happiness also, I think... Uh, I'm not speaking out of turn here. Also has a lot to do with observing and learning. The more you learn about life, the more wisdom you have, the more you can pass that on. If you want to pass on some wisdom, go to waytohappiness.org. You can pick up a copy of the Way to Happiness book or contact me. I'll send you one for free. Uh, the book is making the rounds around the world, and it's, uh, it's helping to reduce crime, to reduce murder. You know, if you ask people to just be sensible and kind of remind them, in a little booklet or in a talk uh, that they are better than that. I mean, that's how we help one another, and that actually has a, a great effect on people, uh, greater than you'd think. Thanks so much for listening. Appreciate it. Uh, thanks to Jeff Levin for the music. I'll talk to you again real soon. Bye-bye.